to uh, sort of touch base from uh, two weeks ago. We had, uh, last week we had uh, David Rudy with us, and he talked about the gospel, and I want to sort of touch on that. Uh, in two weeks before I finish that series on people um, that heal, and I just want to let you know that I think that we're onto something by by thinking in in that line along that line. The reason I say that is because just this week I received statistics and information. It tells me how you're doing, how we're doing, how everyone is doing. If you're single, if you're single again, if you're married, if you're divorced, if you're married with children, if you're married without children, if your grandparents, uh, you know, it, all kinds of statistics. And of course, this year it's even different because of, uh, you know, the COVID crisis and other things going on in our nation. And so people are, anxiety is like the number one uh, concern among uh, American adults. Um, be they Christian or non-Christian, slightly lower with Christians, but um, understandably a little bit higher for the non-Christian, anxiety and depression is like the number one factor in uh, impacting people's lives. And so I'm going through all this information and I'm trying to digest it. And uh, to be honest with you, I have a love-hate relationship with the Barna group. You know, I think the man is depressed. I think he needs counseling. But he always gives me depressing information. And so uh, I, I'm just, well, uh, maybe for his birthday, we just ought to get him a therapist. But, I, you know, he's doing the best he can, and he's polling people, and people are telling them uh, information, and they feel really good about the statistics. And I look at it, and I feel really bad. But the good news is that at the end of it all, uh, Brother Barna says, hey, the church has an opportunity to be a part of the healing agency that God uses in the world. And he says, number one, we need to partner with uh, medical doctors and, and psychologists and psychiatrists and therapists. We need to partner with them, but the, only the church carries the answer for the broken heart and uh, the brokenhearted and the hurting. So... Um, I'm saying amen. You know, he, 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 he gave us some good information at the very end there. And I appreciate it very much. I want to take that healing thought and the good news, and I want to tie it to another thought. And if you would, turn with me into the book of Acts chapter 4. And I know we've been in Acts chapter 4 um, for a while, but I, I want to take you there because what's going to happen is... I, I have this desire to try to um, make sense of something. Now, let me do it this way. Um, if I were to take a poll in this room, and for those of you who are watching online, you know, the same thing with you, and I'm not actually going to do it, partially because I can barely see people, which might be good, but the other thing is... Um, I don't really need to see a raise of hands to try to figure this out. But if I ask the question of you, um, which is it? Now, when, anytime you say which is it, there's only two, one of two answers, right? You know, it's not like, um, like, like when, I, when, when, you, when, I, when Judy came home from visiting the doctor so long ago and she said, I've got some news. And if I ask her, are you pregnant? There's only one of two answers. I mean, you either are or you aren't. It's like... Well, I'm sort of pregnant. It doesn't work, you know? And oddly enough, it happens in the whole thing of what sex are you. There's really only two answers. 
And even when people try to confuse it, they use the two different male and female parts to try to justify that there's something in between. And I, I just don't know. I just think that if you ask me if I'm a male or not, I, I, I generally know the answer to that, you know. And, and the, so the same thing I believe is true of this question. It's not an unfair question. And it's a question I've asked myself, and it's a question I've heard uh, asked uh, sort of uh, indirectly and directly time and again th since uh, last uh, February. And that is, is God responsible for the pandemic that we're experiencing? It's, and so he either is or he isn't. There isn't some in-between. Now, we as Christians oftentimes are slick enough to say, well, God can use it. And, okay, so I'm, I'm there with you on that. And my purpose today is to show you how he can use it. And, and, and it's not like you think. It's not because we've got uh, more media opportunities or people are so afraid that, you, that almost anyone will talk to you right now. You know, um, my, my experience is most, most people don't want to talk to you right now. You know? I, I, I sort of, you know, when I see people and they have a mask on and you see their eyes, it's like they divert their attention away. Like, you know, we're not supposed to make eye contact. Someone could be infected, you know, and I, I, we don't want to. We're in, a, in an unusual situation, 64 years old. Next year will be 65. I've never seen a time quite like this. I'm sure it's happened before. My lifespan is relatively short. But it is an unusual time, and we could talk about all kinds of reasons and causes. But just ask yourself this question. Do you think that God is responsible for the pandemic? So if you say uh, he is responsible for it, then, then there would be an implied response from us. And, and I think it would go something like this. If, if God's given us a plague then I think that we would probably say, oh, God is angry with us, and so therefore we ought to repent and we ought to um, try to make him happy with us again, somehow, some way. And, uh, but if the answer is no, then we say, okay, he's not responsible for it. Who is responsible? And what can be done? And what should we do? And it would be a totally different response, right, is if God's responsible for it, then there's one response. If he's not responsible for it, then there's a completely different response. And by the way, I, I, I do want to, I'll tell you later what I think, but it's, you know, just what I think. Um, but a little teaser here is if you came to the Roman class, you would know the answer to the question, all right? If you're in my Romans class, you already know the answer to the question. We've talked about this. Okay. Hey, listen, let's just take it from there. And, and I want to talk about what I think I see. Like if there's an egg and we're chickens, uh, the little thing that is cracking and trying to come out, which I got to tell you, I've got this beautiful little granddaughter. Did I, did I tell you about my grandkids lately? I don't know. I've got this beautiful little granddaughter, and she and I were on a walk the other day, and we went past, and we heard some chickens, and they started clucking, and I started making a sound, and then the rooster responded to me, and she looked at me, she said, Papa, I didn't know you spoke chicken. <laughs> and, and I said, well, absolutely. She said, what, what did he say? And I said, the chicken says, I'm really nervous about that dog that you're walking with, you know? She said, Really? He said that? I said, I'm pretty sure that's what he said. 
So anyways, um, I do speak chicken and English. Very little Swahili, almost no, well, no Chinese. I can say Shay Shay, but well, you know, anyway. Shay Shay, thank you. Uh, that's Chinese, I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, thank you, I learned that in, when I was in China. Yeah, everybody was saying Shay Shay and I was looking for something. You know, when they say Shay Shay, you know, it's like, I don't know what it is you want. I, I'm sorry. You know? <laughs> but actually, <clears throat> they were saying thank you. I want to tell you that if we were chickens and there was something trying to emerge from the egg, something trying to crack open, or since we are humans and we are mammals, if the baby's head is crowning, what's trying to come forth? I just want to tell you that I believe with all my heart that God is, is ready to resurrect the apostolic church or an apostolic movement. Now, when I use the word apostolic, I'm, I'm, I'm using it as an adjective and not as a noun. And, uh, you know, an, an apostle as a noun, that's a person under a gifting, under an office. In the 90s and a little bit later, everybody was trying to figure out who and what an apostle is. I just love the thought that, that uh, goes all the way back to uh, Roman uh, military um, procedures and actions whenever the Romans went to conquer a land and they, and they go in their ships and they cross the water and they're going to come in they bring their armies the very first or the lead ship is the apostle ship it's the, the ship that has the apostle well it's not an apostle it's actually a group of people and uh, it's the poets it's the writers it's the artisans the musicians the one who carries the culture and the language and so uh, uh, Paul, the apostle, borrowed from uh, uh, Roman uh, language uh, this phrase, apostleship, and used it as one who was sent, one who was sent for Jesus, ahead of Jesus, one who was sent under direct orders uh, uh, from Jesus. And so um, I'm not talking about um, the apostle uh, as in a, a noun or a, uh, a person under an office. I'm talking about an adjective which describes something. Uh, in the assemblies of God, we were birthed uh, somewhat out of, and very much, uh, not somewhat, but very much out of the Azusa Street Revival in uh, California in 1906 to 1909. And uh, one of the things they did right after the, uh, the revival moved into their new location at 312 Market Street in Azusa Street in California, Southern California, Los Angeles County, um, was they wrote on the wall of their building, they painted on there the words apostolic faith, apostolic faith. And that, in, that encouraged some, but it also, it uh, angered others. And all they meant to do is to say that, it, that, that the faith that we have is going back to Acts chapter 2 and Pentecost, the day of Pentecost and the experience of the church as it was birthed. And so they would say, give, God, give us that kind of faith so that those kinds of things that happened, and most notably uh, salvation and deliverance and healing and all the things that transform society and brings the kingdom of heaven and its culture to the earth that so desperately needs it. Um, you know, that's what they were trying to say. So I'm saying today, I'm going to use the word apostolic 
to mean um, something that I touched on a few weeks ago when I talked about the teachings of the apostles. The teachings of the apostle, what was new to be taught was that Christ-centered way of viewing life and the scripture, the old covenant, the old testament. In other words, they looked at the same scriptures they had, the same scriptures they had been reading, but then they started seeing Jesus in it, and they started seeing him as being the fulfillment of those scriptures. And so it began to encourage their hearts that what God had been promising that, um, well, he keeps his promises. What a good thought that is. To me, it's just a happy thought that God keeps his promises. By the way, Annie or anyone who's struggling, and I, I know exactly what Annie's talking about. I hope you do, because, or talk to her afterwards. But, I, you know, when, when, you, when you go through this time when God's being uncharacteristically quiet, you're not really hearing his voice. When you go through times like that, you start making assumption about life and about God and about himself. So here's what I want you to do. Anytime that you see someone rejoicing because God kept his word and answered someone's promise, you take that and rejoice with them. Don't look at it and say, oh, my gosh, why did he skip over me and go to them? Because the very fact that he kept his promise to someone else means he will keep his promise to you. So I want you to understand when I say that, that there should be a love and an uh, an affinity for uh, the the nation of Israel and the people of Israel, wherever they're at and even in their homeland. I think there should be great, great encouragement that God kept his word and brought them back. That should be a sign to us, church, that he will keep his word and Jesus will return. And... Jesus keeps his word, and he will return. And um, everything that we sing about now will say, oh, my God, God is God. Yeah. All right. So I want to talk about the uh, reemergence, or maybe we should use the word restoration or resurrection of the apostolic. I want to use this premise. I believe that unusual times like this is going to take an unusual demonstration of God's power and his presence. I think it's going to take unusual people who are willing to take unusual risks and do the things that were done that we see read in the book of Acts. And when we we realize and recognize that in their time of persecution, their time of hardship, when their labor, when their job was, was hard, when it was difficult, but they were happy to have it, um, what, how they acted and what God did and what they learned through it. And so I, I just want to say that in the absence of apostles, capital A, apparently that was capped to a very small number of people. And I'm not one of those that believes that all kinds of miracles and gifts of the Spirit have gone away because the apostles have gone away. I'm just saying that if in the criteria for an apostle, capital A, was they had to have walked with Jesus and seen him and witnessed his resurrection, um, you know, those people are gone. But we have the apostles' teachings, right? That, that, I know you're underwhelmed with that, but, you know, in the apostle, in the absence of the apostles, capital A, I just want to remind you that we have their teachings. And so we need to return to their teachings, to their letters, and to the scriptures. And in the presence of the apostolic, 
Um, we have, as a church in this day and time, we have a prophetic call to see Jesus again as central to all scriptures and everything God is doing. And that's where you're supposed to get really excited. Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't prep you for that. All right, in a moment, you're going to get really excited here when I say this. But <clears throat> let me just tell you that the unusual times that we're in is going to require God to correspondingly act in an unusual way. In fact, if I could put it this way, I think it would be better to see that God is ready to act on the planet. He is ready to take the planet over. He's ready to return Jesus uh, in the relative uh, near future. He is ready to bring the church together and to make her one and to make her uh, pure and spotless and white and ready for the appearing of Jesus. I really believe that he's ready to do that. And I also believe that he's ready to resurrect the apostolic understanding and revelation. And the church is going to flow in a power and an authority, which if, thank you, Linda. And if I, <clears throat> see, I love Linda, man. She makes me happy. <laughs> This piece of thing, I will be able to throw in a trash. As much as I love it, we'll be able to throw it in a trash because when you and I say, I'm not so happy with the way the church is responding, you're going to realize and recognize that Jesus in the church is going to start to do things that's going to make your jaw drop. And you're going to say, oh, my God, God is God. And the scriptures are true, you know. And so I think that God is on the verge of doing that. So what has happened is that there has been a counter-offensive from the adversary to try to squash that, to keep us in our place. You know, like, um, let's just, uh, we, we cannot afford to let the church actually start to believe the song she sings. We can't afford to let the church actually believe the proclamation she makes. Can't afford to let the church believe what Jesus said is really true. Because if that happens... All glory is going to break out, and all hell is going to run. <laughs> Before I get any further, let's go to Acts chapter 4. I'm going to read in verse number, um, what verse, 32. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. And the congregation, or the multitude, of those who believed, who believed what? Who believed the testimony of the apostles and the early disciples as they were sharing Jesus. The congregation of those who believe were of one heart and soul. You know, the, the joke is that if, if you get two Jews in the same room, you're going to have three opinions. <laughs> the church has inherited that. Whatever that genetically is, I think we've inherited that. But this congregation of people believed and were of one heart and one soul. And listen, and not one of them claimed to be a Republican. Uh, or, or, and not one of them claimed to, to that. I'm sorry, that was a Freudian slip there. Not one of them cl claimed to be that anything belonging to him was his own. And, and this is not socialism, by the way, because in socialism, the, the government takes it from you. But in this, you volunteer it for greater love for God. 
Um, not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. That can only be managed under Jesus. There's no way that you and I can manage that. I'm just sorry. I mean, I like love to shut the door at night and lock it and, and, and the rest of the world stays home. I like that, you know, don't you? And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's how it goes. You know, you tell someone that Jesus is raised from the dead and they say, no, he's not. No one believes that anymore. And then the, the apostles do a miracle. And they're like, how did you do that? Uh, the Jesus who did, used to do that when he was on the earth, he's doing it again. Through yeah, He still does it. Okay, all right. So that's how you give testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was upon all of them. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. I don't have the time to go into it. But Jesus' teaching was that, you know, that you being um, human, evil, it's, it, you can't make it pretty. He said, you being evil. Know how to give gifts, good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give uh, the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And it's in the context of prayer. And he's saying, like, when you, if you look at his logic, what he's saying is no matter what your prayer request is, when God says, yep, we're going to answer that one, he always sends the Holy Spirit. How many of you know that Jesus is the grace of God? Yeah. It, he bought and paid for everything at Calvary. Everything is bought and paid for at Calvary. And the, the spirit that was on Jesus has been released into the church. And whenever God answers a, a, a prayer, it's releasing the spirit to accomplish whatever it was that you were asking for. So, um, so, so the verse 33 says, great with great power, this is the Holy Spirit working, the apostles were giving testimony uh, to the resurrection, Jesus was raised by the Spirit of God, of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace, abundant grace, not just the thing that saves you, but the thing that keeps you and the, things that, the thing that motivates you, the things that encourages you, the things that reveals Jesus to you. That's the Holy Spirit. The, the, so for the church, the grace of God is not just what Jesus did, but what was released, which is the Holy Spirit. Whenever God releases grace, it's, he's released the Holy Spirit. More, sp more Holy Spirit, more grace. I don't have time to go into that right now. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land and houses would sell them and bring the proceeds to the, uh, of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each one as they had need. Now, this was a particular time so you have the multitudes of Jews coming in for the feast day from around the world now they stumble onto Jesus they get saved and suddenly their eyes are open and they don't want to leave I mean like there's in Jerusalem's where everything's centered they don't want to leave so what do they do I mean where do they live um, what do you do when you don't have a home you know I mean you start getting desperate and so people would house them uh, through appropriate means but the important thing was that this was a particular group of people who was living under a culture that represented heaven and not the, the, the desires and the greed and the self-satisfaction of our world and uh, the human experience. Does everybody understand what I'm saying there? No one understands what I said? I understood it. Okay. All right. 
question would be right now, why would we want to see the apostolic uh, restored or resurrected? Because, well, all these things will begin to happen again. The church will be what we've always dreamed she should be. That's one thing. And we'll have authentic worship. We'll have authentic faith in Jesus Christ. And we'll have an authentic testimony. And the church will be vibrant and alive and as we always wanted it to be. When I was 19, 18, 18 years old, and I had been filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, suddenly there was birthed in me a desire to be a part of a community of people who believed that the book of Acts is still occurring. And the things that they had, we can have. So I'm going to just say first, right out of the box here, we have some work to do. We have a little bit of work to do, you know. I don't know about you, but people are not uh, breaking down my door to say, Pastor, tell me what it is that makes you believe what you believe. You know, people are not breaking down the door to do that. Most of the time, I'm looking for them. I'm telling you a day is coming when they're going to be looking for you. They're going to be saying, why do you have faith? Why do you have a song? Why do you worship the way you do in the midst of all of this? Hey, we might be there already. We might be there already. All right? Uh, now, the apostles had heard Jesus, and they had seen him die, and they had seen him resurrected. And uh, then they were commissioned by the Holy Spirit. This fledgling church now carried the testimony of Jesus. We need to get back to carrying the testimony of Jesus. And by that, I mean more than Jesus saved me. I mean we have a conviction in our heart that Jesus Christ is resurrected. He's alive and he's living. And he's uh, in the church through the means of his Holy Spirit. That is... That testimony, when you carry the testimony that Jesus, okay, here's how I have to do it. I don't have time to go to um, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, but the, the Jewish way of praying, the prayer that they have prayed for centuries and longer, more like millennia, is what we call the Shema. Deuteronomy 6, 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord God, the Lord, he is one. That is the very beginning of it. Okay, so I want you to catch with me for a moment how important that is. Like that keeping Sabbath, observing circumcision, observing the Torah, all those things were external but the prayer that they prayed over and over again was the Shema and as they prayed that there it's like in their psyche and Jewish writers today will tell you that even the most secular Jews that when you recite the Shema that that when you when you start to recite that prayer they're instantly called back to an identity and the identity was that God called them out of darkness and into light. And one of the first things he had to do was to destroy idolatry. 
And so the Lord, he is one. There isn't many gods. There's only one God. It goes way back to Abraham, all the way back there. So with that knowledge, I want you to understand that whenever the, 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 the apostles now suddenly heard and recited Shema, when they started repeating that prayer, when they cried that prayer, when they started to cry out, there became a certain um, conflict that entered their soul. And the conflict was, okay, so either Jesus is the Lord or there's another God. And that's why his disciples struggled so much with Jesus. It wasn't because that they had hugged him and they smelled his sweaty armpits. And so he was so human, you know, he was so human that how could a human be God? It, it, it was more than that. It's deeper than that. It's in their psyche. They know that there's only one God. But when the Holy Spirit fell on them, there became a sudden revelation to them and understanding that the God that they read about in Old Covenant, Old Testament, that is Jesus. They, they suddenly recognized Jesus as being the one whom they called Yahweh, whom they called Adonai, the Lord. They suddenly recognized he is the God who is one. The uh, Trinitarian debate wasn't solved until, um, you know, many, many, many years after uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So they weren't struggling with Trinity. They were struggling with that guy is now this guy. That, that's, that's where they were having their disconnect. And what happened is they began to live a Christ-centered world in a... Hebrew culture surrounded by Roman pagans. So they're culture within a culture within a culture. And they were trying to figure out life. So things get distorted in translation. Okay, let me give you an example. Is this plague, the uh, COVID-19, is it from God or not? I, I'm going to tell you that for those of us who believe the teachings of the apostles, especially in, as we find it in the book of Romans. If we understand Romans correctly, the wrath of God has been poured out on Jesus Christ. So if you and I as Americans or as Christians or as non-believers living together. Do you know that believer and unbeliever are under the same grace right now? In other words, the unbeliever, even the ones who rail at God, don't realize that Jesus is what is holding the heavens open so that we can return home. And even the unbeliever, you know, so, so the wrath of God that should come on Americans who are Christians who have accepted Christ as their Savior, the wrath that we should get. God, uh, 
God poured all that out on Jesus at Calvary. The wrath of God was revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men. Take the worst, most hyenas act that you have seen or heard or, or, or learned about or experienced this year, and I'm going to tell you that Jesus has already taken the wrath of God for that event. So for the believer, we'll stand before God and he'll say, is his name in the Lamb's book of life? Did he receive Jesus? Is he a lover of God? Yes. Boom. In to eternity with him. For the unbeliever, all this time, the wrath of God that had been poured out on Jesus, that had been the grace that had been neglected, now suddenly falls on the unbeliever at a day called the day of judgment. In the day of judgment, every wicked person will pay the penalty for their sins if they have not run to Jesus, if they have not called on the grace of God. Brothers and sisters, I'm happy about two things. One is that the wicked person who is determined to be wicked, who refuses to come to God, who hates God and everything about him, they will have their day and God will answer their question. Second thing I'm happy about is all the stupid and ridiculous things that I have done in my life and deserve the wrath of God for will not be poured out on me. He has not appointed the believer to the wrath of God. So I'm going to tell you today, when the church believes, believes that the COVID virus is from the hand of God, they don't understand their theology. They don't understand the grace of Jesus Christ. We don't understand the magnitude of what Jesus did. And that's the grace that you and I live under. So if it's not from God, then where is it from? Before you say China, I just want to say, I just want to say, all I can tell you is it's not from God. So I, I am free to live in relationship with him, to love him, to worship him, to adore him, to magnify him, to testify of him, and to share that good news with anyone, right? I'm free to do that. I can spend my life doing it. And on my final breath, say, it's done. I finished the course. I've done everything I could. I can't do one more thing. And now I'll go home, and it will be that way that I enter into eternity. Hallelujah. No regrets. No looking back. I did what I could. All right. But for now, for the unbeliever's sake or the indifferent, I like to say it this way, I believe that there is... Uh, uh, the lovers of God and there's the haters of God and the scriptures call them the wicked. Then there's a great vast group of people who knows the number that are indifferent in the middle. So for the indifferent, for their sake, I, I, I intercede, I appeal, I pray. Church, COVID-19 could end today if the church believed Jesus Christ for an answer. If we believed that 
we, if we believed the Lord for an answer, it could end today. So I become not resistant to uh, COVID-19 regulations and all that stuff. I become resistant to an adversary who's trying to destroy precious life. So for the sake of the indifferent and, the, and the, uh, those who are undecided right now, I intercede for the grace and the mercy of God to keep them safe and to keep them from harm's way and to keep them in and their families and their loved ones, okay? So the way we answer that question really depends on what we believe about God, but I'm here to tell you as much as I understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus took the wrath of God for everyone who runs to him. So I don't think whether tsunamis or earthquakes or forest fires or pandemics are from the hand of God trying to chase us back to him. I don't think that way. I believe it's the goodness of the Lord and the kindness of the Lord that is trying to lead us to repentance. So with, when the church is armed with that kind of knowledge and information, we start to live different kinds of lives with different kinds of outcomes. Let me show you what I mean. So we're going to talk, first of all, well, let me just, Carrie, I, 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 I've kind of blown away my time here, but I, let's just go through those slides real quick. Let me show you four things about an apostolic church, and these are the things we'll study over the next few weeks here. The first thing is that it becomes Christ-centered. The church becomes Christ-centered. The songs become Christ-centered. The worship becomes Christ-centered. The preaching becomes Christ-centered. Our ministry, our appeal becomes Christ-centered. Amen? Can you believe with me that uh, it's possible the church has drifted away from that a little bit? Can I, can I go to a Sunday morning and hear a service about how to feel better about your bad self? You know? Yeah, you, yeah there's, a, there's a lot of self-help going on out there. And I just learned a long time ago, I can't help myself. I need a, I need a Savior. Okay, so anyways, um, uh, Christ-centered prayer, Christ-centered worship, Christ-centered teaching, Christ-centered preaching, discipleship making, it's all Christ-centered. We return to that. Second thing is the church will be love-motivated, love-motivated. I'm going to tell you again what Torah could not make the apostle Paul do, the love of God did. You could keep all the commandments of Torah and uh, appeal to God in your circumcision, in your Sabbath keeping, and in your heart of hearts not have love for God. But the moment that God saved Saul of Tarsus out of his wretched, miserable, murderous life and gave him a new life in Christ, he was suddenly filled with the love of God and now you could not stop this man. He did all that he did in a short period of time because he had wasted most of his life in anger and hatred against the church. And now he became an apostle in the church. Okay, we become love-motivated. Third thing is we become spirit-empowered. Spirit-empowered. Not just we believe in the Holy Spirit, but this spirit is what is empowering us. I, I got to tell you, you know, the other night, 
You know, on Friday night, I really want to go to bed with one thing in my mind, and that is I know what it is that I want to share with us this morning. You know, that's, that's the way I like to end, end the week. And sometimes it's like nail-biting because, like, I've studied, I've prepared, I've been before the Lord, I've done whatever I need to do and am not settled in my spirit. And I went to bed with this thought in my mind, Lord, you said that I wouldn't even have to contemplate how to answer on certain days, but that the, in that hour that the Holy Spirit can give me what I need to say. And he's thinking about martyrs and how Stephen and guys like him should respond, you know. But it sometimes applies for the person who's just not settled in their spirit. And so I went to bed with that prayer on my lips, and I woke up in the morning, and I'm like, I see it so clearly. I understand exactly what I'm supposed to do. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You are so good. You're so kind. So church, I'm just here to tell you, get ready. God's resurrecting the apostolic church. The apostolic church is going to be raised up in this day and this hour in which you and I live. And it will be spirit empowered. And the fourth and last thing is that the church won't the church will not just carry good news. The church will be good news. The church will be good news. I don't know about you. The church is not good news in a lot of places. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. I don't have a problem with Jesus. It's the church I struggle with. I say, welcome to my world, you know. <laughs> but anyway. That being said, I do believe that the church was not my idea. It was not your idea. It was God's idea. He established it, and he knows how to fix it. He knows how to create it. He knows, let me tell you, brothers and sisters, if this pandemic doesn't lift by this time next year, I believe we'll have 20% houses of worship open if something doesn't change, 20% less. That's actually not a good thing. That is actually not a good thing. And you say, well, maybe some other churches will rise up. Okay, that's great. I, I get it. But I'm telling you, the numbers are going in the wrong direction. But I believe when God raises up an apostolic church that people will get so excited about Jesus and what God is doing in the church, they're going to want to be a part of it online or in their house, whatever. I don't know, you know. Okay, however that works out. So the four things, Christ-centered, love-motivated, spirit-empowered, and, and the church will be the good news. Here's what I want to do in the next five minutes. I want to take you um, to the book of Acts, chapter 2. And I want to give you an example of how the apostles got Christ-centered from where they were at. Now, they had lived with Jesus three years, right? They had been taught by him. In Acts, chapter 2, and I'm just going to jump in the middle of, of of Peter's um, conversation here. He said, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, that Jesus, the one from Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. 
And now he's going to quote from the Old Testament, and he's seeing it differently. David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope because you will not abandon my soul to Hades nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. In verse 29, Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us in Jerusalem. And so, because he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on the throne. And looking ahead, spoke of the resurrection of Christ. See, this is like... This is coming together in Peter's head as he's delivering it. Do you understand? He, he's prayed these psalms. He's read these psalms. He's quoted these psalms. And he always considered it to be a psalm of David. And now suddenly he says, wait a second. David wasn't talking about David. He died. How can he continue to live? He died and his tomb is here. No, he was talking about Jesus. The scales came off. The veil came back. And everywhere they looked, they saw Jesus. Everywhere they looked in the Old Testament, they saw Jesus. I don't have the time to go to uh, uh, Isaiah 53. Maybe we'll do that next week. But if we took the time and looked at Isaiah 53, who has believed our message? Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And then he goes through this. He will grow up before him like a tender plant. And what he, what he did is, is that Isaiah began to speak in a way prophetically in which everybody hearing Isaiah's prophecy heard Israel in the story. She was the son that was rejected. She was the tender plant. She was the one who was pierced. She was the one who was crushed. She was the one who was despised. She was the one that people wagged their heads at. But in Matthew chapter 8, uh, Matthew says, you know, he's looking at Peter uh, and Peter's mother-in-law just got healed. And a whole bunch of people came to Peter's house to be healed as well. And all of a sudden, Matthew starts reciting from Isaiah 53, and by his stripes we are healed. He's recognizing that it wasn't just Israel that was rejected. It was Israel's Messiah, Jesus. He was the one rejected. He was the one despised. He was the one who died. He was the one who brought healing to the nation. Stand up with me. I got to tell you something. When you see Jesus, Jesus, when, you, when, the world, when your worldview becomes not just Christian, but Christ-centered, it suddenly does something for you. It does something so, so amazing. And, and so I, 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 if I can say it this way, I'm, I'm going to really get in trouble. But, you know, I, you know the, there's been a complaint about fake news for so long. And I guess that if a commentator gets in the middle of the story, then suddenly he's not talking about the story. He's inserted himself in the story. Then suddenly he is a part of the story. And that's why some people say, 
that's not really journalism. You know, you're supposed to report about a story. And that's why the, the, the horrible phrase, the fake news. By the way, we need an open media. It's a part of our system. We have to have freedom of the press. But the press needs a revival as much as anyone in this country right now. But, it, but, but I don't want to be a part of what we, we could maybe call like fake church where we suddenly insert ourselves into the story like the story's all about us. The story's all about him. The story is the story from front to end isn't about the greatness of man, no matter whether they were a patriarch or not. It's not about the greatness of man. This is a story about the greatness of God. This is a story about the greatness of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to this world and died a sinner's death. And he died so that we might live. It's his story, not your story. It, we get to be a part of it because apparently he likes to have a wife. He wants to have a bride. He wants to have someone at his side that can be a faithful servant just as Adam and Eve were. Adam needed Eve and, and God is actually tipping his hand and saying, I need an Eve. And so the church is becoming the bride of Christ. Amen? So that means... Uh, well, he's got his job description down pretty well. We need to work on ours. And that's why I'm asking you this morning, would you consider to pray with me? Would you pray into this? Would you pray and lean into this and believe that God is restoring, if not resurrecting, an apostolic church? I'm not talking about Cornerstone. I, mean, I want to be a part of it, you know. Capital C. I believe that the greatest days of the church have not yet occurred. 